Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Again, my name is Emmanuel. It's such a pleasure to be preaching this morning. Um, you can call me Manuel if you like. I used to be called Mandog as well, so Q-Dog, Mandog's fine too. It was also once Manifold. Uh, well, pretty much anything that you can think of, you're welcome to bring it. So whatever's easier for you, but, but we'll go with Emmanuel this morning. But for many of you guys who have been here the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the book of Galatians. And this tagline, Jesus plus nothing, has been really the key element that we've been trying to really capture the essence of and understand, well, what does this mean? Okay, well, Jesus plus nothing. It's quite simple. But actually, it takes some time to really catch a revelation of what that means for us because we've learned a whole bunch of other stuff. And Galatians is really the book that's doing this for us. So today we're going to read through quite a, a, a lengthy, 10 verses, lengthy-ish piece of scripture. And I'm going to start off by reading this. And I want you to open up your Bibles, Galatians chapter 2. And let's read through it together and then... Let's unpack it. Let's discover what God's trying to say within this text to us to apply to our own lives. So Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to kick off in verse 11, and we're going to read through to verse 21. Okay. So, seeing Bibles open mostly, otherwise the words will be up on the screen. When Cephas, who is also called Peter, and I'll touch on that just now, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him face to face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, underline that, I put it in red, get it out there, we're going to unpack that. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is I that no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Okay. So there's a lot happening there. Ten scriptures, you take... Th- Mark kept on mentioning that the book of Galatians isn't necessarily a, a, a narrative. There isn't necessarily a story. 
Luckily, I'm sitting with a part that is a story. So we can unpack the story and kind of put ourselves in the shoes of Paul and Peter within the story and see what really was going on. And in essence, if I take all the scripture, what really is happening is three things. And we can put that slide on. Is we start off and there's, there's this, this key thing from Paul that says, wait a minute, Peter, or Cephas, I'm going to call him Peter, much easier to say. You are not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. And the whole text centers around this. But there's this part, number one, where Peter's not doing this. And then the middle piece of the scripture, Paul's trying to unpack what does it mean to be justified by the law or to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. What is the difference between that? And there's this conversation, well not conversation, he's just opposing Peter. and There's this preach coming from Paul um, saying you need to get this. And then lastly, there's a section talking about, actually it's about being crucified with Christ. Those are really, that's really what's going on there. And that's what I'm going to do. Let's just unpack a bit of this and, and understand it together. So firstly, let's touch a little bit on Peter. Who's, who's Peter? Uh, who's Cephas? Okay, the Greek word for Peter is Cephas. This is his Greek name. It means rock or stone. And Peter is the same Peter that walks on the water. It's that Peter. It's the same Peter that was very, very close to Jesus. It's the same Peter that in Acts 10, who's a Jewish man, got a vision from God say, showing that he can eat whatever he wants now because the Jews were under a law that had a lot of things called the Mosaic Law, but they were also under a lot of dietary requirements underneath that law where they couldn't eat pork, they had to wash it. They had to do so many things to remain clean in order to have that access toward the presence of God through remaining clean consistently. But Jesus came in and he said, actually, you can come straight to God through me, through Jesus, and, and, and everything changed. And this Peter, who was battling with us in Acts, God gave him a vision and said, eat whatever you like, actually, because you, got, you are already clean because of what I've done on the cross. This is the same Peter. And now this is the Peter who's sitting there, and there's Jews and there's Gentiles, uh, eating together regularly in the church, in their homes. And there's this group called the Circumcision Group, which is really a group of Jews who, have, who do believe in Jesus. They've gotten saved. They believe what Jesus did, but they're caught up in some of, this, some of these rituals, some of these laws to say, actually, I need to do this as well in order to remain clean. Yes, I know Jesus has given me something, but I also have to do something else. And to such a point where this group starts separating themselves from the unclean Gentiles who eat differently and who don't care and don't follow the customs. And Peter starts slipping into this group and he starts bringing other people with him. And even Barnabas, a close person to Paul, another person comes in. And that's, this is really the thing that Paul sits there and he says, I'm seeing Peter doing this and he stands condemned and I have to oppose him, even publicly. He doesn't call him aside. He says, I have to oppose you. There's something seriously wrong with the picture right now. Um, so there's coming quite way to you. And some people, as I go into this, a lot of this is around the gospel. It's really that simple. And some people may look at it and say, yeah, but I know the gospel. I know what Jesus did. It's just the basics. I want something meatier. Peter is kind of as meaty as you get. Peter is one of the lead apostles in the first part of the church this guy walked with Jesus. If this message is important for Peter, it's important for every one of us. So this is Peter not acting in line with the gospel. He's made some decisions. He's separating himself from people. 
because he's adding some other laws and some other things to get clean and not just Jesus. So I think the first part is that not acting in line with the gospel, we need to just go back to basics. Well, what is, what is the gospel? If Paul's saying you're not acting in line with the gospel, he has an example of Peter doing it and why he's doing it, but what is the gospel? And I asked myself this and I thought, okay, what is the gospel? Wait a minute, it's, it's the gospel according to Mark, gospel according to Luke. So, so Mark, Luke, John, they're all telling something of the gospel. Wait a minute, they're all just telling something of Jesus. So the gospel's Jesus. But I came across this scripture, which I think everybody knows. I came across it, but I think everybody's come across it, probably in the world. John 3.16. Very, very popular one. And it says, we can all sing, read it together probably. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Key part that just stands out, that whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is already condemned. Paul sees, Paul sees Peter standing there and the first thing he says, he says, Peter, you look like a man who is standing condemned. There's a problem here. So straight away, there's a problem here in terms of Peter's believing at that time in the wholeness of who Jesus is versus something else has come up that he's standing condemned. Because if you believe in Jesus, you're not condemned. But the key thing, and Rory said it, for those of you who were here the last two weeks, and we're going to keep quoting many things that happened a few uh, weekends ago, but he said that we're saved not to get access to heaven. We're saved to get access to a father. And there's something true in that. Because Jesus says here, for God so loved us that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. And is eternal life just this, I want to live forever in heaven? And there's more to it. So John 17, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite scriptures. If you've never read it, read it. It's Jesus praying to God. And he's praying for himself, he's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for all of us. Jesus praying. I mean, I love hearing Jesus praying because I know that that prayer is going to be answered. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful prayer. And in John 17, 2 to 3, it says, Jesus praying to God, saying, For you, Father, for you granted him, Jesus, for you granted him authority over all humanity so that he may give eternal life to all those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life. And this is beautiful, that you, they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. Not living forever. Not, the eternal life is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus, whom you have sent. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is a story of Jesus, of God, who sent his son Jesus to die for us, to get risen again, so that we may know God. And we may have the opportunity to know Jesus who God had sent. It's all about knowing God. And this knowing is the same word for know that is used when Mary stands to the angel and they said, the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to give birth to Jesus. And she says, but I have never known a man. She's never slept with a man. She's never had intimacy with a man. How is this going to be possible? It's the same know. So God so loved the world that he gave Jesus so that we can have 
such intimate knowledge and relationship with God and that is eternal life and that is the gospel. And through that, this is where Paul is looking at Peter and saying, you're not talking in line with somebody who should know the trueness of who God is, the real character of Jesus. Something you're doing now isn't showing that. And that's actually what it's all about. So in a sense, the gospel, walking in line with the gospel, and I I used my paint skills now on, on Microsoft, you can have a look, is this beautiful circle. And it's really saying, you got the gospel? And at the center of the gospel is Jesus. And that's it. Jesus is at that center. And that's when you're walking in line with the gospel. If you're in your workplace, if you're in any place, you're walking in line with the character of who Jesus is because you have intimate knowledge of who he is. The character of who the God the Father is because you know him. Because that's what Jesus died for so that we may know him. But Paul, on the other hand, sorry, Paul was calling out Peter because somehow along the line this got blurred and suddenly Peter was at the center of this little circle. Peter's actually sitting there now and that shifted things. Why was Peter sitting there? Because it even says in the text there that Peter was drawn out with the other group because he was afraid of what they may say. So suddenly it wasn't about Jesus, about what are they going to do? Uh, let, me, let me respond differently. Let me save face. Suddenly, actually, it's Peter's ego. Peter's, uh, it's him and him worrying about himself that ends up in the center. And that's not in line with the gospel. Jesus needs to come back into the center. So that's the crux of what this walking in line with the gospel is about and what the gospel means. But then Paul goes through this detailed part about, Peter, I've seen an example. You're not walking in line with the gospel. This is what you need to get. You need to get something here about justification and not through the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. You need to get this, Paul, uh, Peter. And he really runs home. So verse 16, and I've got it up so you can have a quick squiz at it again. This is, a, this is a, a crazy piece of scripture in that Peter literally repeats himself again and again and again. You know, and he says, Do you not know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ? He could have stopped there and he says, No, no, no. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Let me repeat it. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And he continues. And he's, you know, so he really needs to drive home this thing about the law and about faith in Jesus and which one justifies us. And Mark preached last week about justification, but justification is really just being made right with God. Do we, are we made right with God by following a law? No. Are we made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. But now what does this mean? And I mean, I'm going to try and do this in five or ten minutes, what the difference is to this is. But I think the whole book of Galatians tries to take us through what this difference is because it's crucial that we get it. So I was having a, a water-wise shower the other day. It's one of those quick ones. And I really just felt like a simple version of what justification by the law and justification by faith in Jesus Christ really is. So it's a beautiful picture. Um, and I remember first driving through Cape Town and I was driving up the mountains and I literally, I didn't take this photo, but it was almost as good. And I sat there and I looked at this and it was beautiful. I was just like, this is picture perfect. It is amazing. Anybody know where this is? 
Tierwaterskloof Dam. As Afrikaans as I can get, or otherwise the Waterskloof. Yeah, but Tierwaterskloof Dam, I mean stunning, okay? Absolutely stunning. You can stop on the side of the road and see this. Today, what does it look like? Next slide. I couldn't get the exact photo, but close enough, eh? So stuff's happened. And I mean, amen to rain yesterday. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for more consistent rain. But stuff has happened in between then and now. And through this, the city of Cape Town has taken us through a whole bunch of laws, correct? So I've got the laws here. As a reminder, so at the same time, I'm preaching a bit of sustainability here, so it's all good. <laughs> so Wayne, will you send me back to the city of Cape Town, please? So at the moment, we're on level four. Or B almost, I think. Extremely dry conditions, water supply insufficient to meet socioeconomic needs, voluntary conservation restrictions and regulatory response, maximum reduction. We are not allowed to water your pot plant anymore. Okay? 100 liters per day, maximum, per person. But try and keep below that. I mean, that's a law. It's important now. We have to do this. Correct. Okay? Is that law good? Is the fact that we're on level 4 water restrictions a good thing? Yes. Does everybody agree that they should follow it? Yes. Does everybody agree that if they follow it, the outcomes will be better than if they don't follow it? Yes. Cool. So we agree that the law is good. But do we ag- how do we feel? Do we agree that if we follow this law and we focus on 100 liters a day, we're going to have water forever? No. Are we going to have access to water and we're able to, to the future sorted for water? No. Because following this law isn't going to give us access to rain. Following this law is going to help us. It's going to help us to be good stewards of what we got. It's going to help it last a bit further. But ultimately, without rain, the water is going to dry up and we're all going to not have water and that is terrible. We will all die, actually. You know? But... That is the truth. (laughs) Sorry for the harshness of it, but yeah. But that's but so the law is good, but it's not putting our faith in the law isn't going to help us. It has a role to play. Actually, we need to be putting our faith in the rain and the source of the rain. We need to be hoping for rain, but at the same time following the law. And what happens is when the rain comes, so if it pours this winter, doesn't mean we can just go back to our old lifestyles. And start just, yeah, you know, washing cars four times a day and letting the tap running in swimming pools. And some of us sadly will. But actually, as Paul says, definitely not. (laughs) Because we actually realize the value that this water brings. We should continue with this sort of habit, this level four mentality, just because actually there's something really special here. And we shouldn't just start using it because we think we've got access to it. Okay, so how does that come back a bit to the gospel? Well, just the beautiful thing was with Jesus, Luke, uh, John four fourteen, just on this water analogy. So in the sense, the law is this level four law that we're wanting to follow. It is good. It is it is great. We should follow it, but actually, our focus needs to be on the source, and the source is Jesus. That's who our faith needs to be in, and the law actually is a response to our satisfaction and gratefulness of who Jesus is. So John 4.14, 4, 
The beauty is that Jesus said, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water I will give him will become in him a well of water, springing up to eternal life, or knowledge of God, knowledge of Jesus. He who believes, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow living waters. So Jesus takes it a step further. We don't have to worry about the rain not coming. We need to realize that Jesus gives us endless supply. But the sacrifice and the cost that was paid for that endless supply, we need to get that. Because when we get that, this is actually what Jesus did for me. And he's so gracious to give me everything. My response is level four (laughs) because I realize the beauty and the sacrifice that was paid for this. And I'm doing it in response to the love for the source of who gives us. So, so for some of you, as you're sitting there saving your water supply and doing what you need to do, just think that through. There's a reason for it, but actually our faith is in Jesus. And that is what it's about. So the big question that I sit with is kind of, how do we then, this, this picture of, of Peter in the center of the circle, how do we stop ourselves from getting back into the center? How do we keep Jesus there consistently and not other weird stuff? That, that maybe is good. Maybe you know, some of these laws are good. Some of these things, the Ten Commandments, still good. I mean, uh, really. But how do we keep Jesus at the center and have the rest of the stuff be our heart's response to a loving Savior? So to do this, this, the secret of this is in this last piece of the Scripture. So again, 20 to 21 says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So the beauty is, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Something happened here with Paul and he's trying to say, actually, when you believe in Jesus, something changes to you. Something changes that actually even in the center of you isn't you anymore. It's Jesus. And if you're putting yourself in the center of everything, when you've got a true knowledge of who Jesus is, then Jesus is in the center anyway because he's at your core. He's everything to you. So this crucified with Christ, understanding what this means is, is really, really critical. And there's this guy called Alec Motier. I don't know how to pronounce it. Motier. M-O-T-Y-E-R. You have to Google him. Amazing guy. He passed away last year. He's a ginger. He's probably in his like 80s. To me, he looks like Gabe in like 60 years' time. And he's standing there and he's preaching his heart out still. A little button-up shirt, a splitting image. It's, it's, it's amazing. And there's Alec Motier, British guy. And he really just said this. He said that actually, 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 actually at the, the core of our salvation is really three things. And these three things are really important. And this helps us understand this crucified with Christ. Three things. We believe, correct? We believe in Jesus. Yes, that's the gospel. We're saved and we obey. Obedience, salvation, and belief. Critical things. And this distinction between Jesus being the center of the gospel or us being the sense of the gospel, is our understanding of what order this should be in. And either the order can be, I believe in Jesus, and Jesus saves me, and out of a response to him saving me, I obey him. 
Or it can be, I believe in Jesus and I obey the law and the commandments and everything the Bible teaches and then I get saved. And many of us Christians for 40 years, 60 years, 100 years, you're still sitting there and maybe this distinction isn't clear. That you believe and you feel then you have to obey in order to get saved. But Jesus actually comes in and says, no, no, no. The gospel is this. You believe in the name of Jesus, you are saved. Done. You're saved. And understanding what it means to be saved, not just the price that was paid, but what you've been given, that changes everything inside. Yeah, that actually my response now is just on my knees in gratitude and love for a loving Father and for Jesus actually giving up everything for me, for my future, and He's got this beautiful plan for His church. That actually, <laughs> I'm obeying. I'm responding with everything that I've got because I've got an understanding of what you've done, Jesus, and what the saved means. Believe, save, obey. Um, and when, um, this is Tim Kelly, he says, Religion says, I obey, therefore I was accepted by God. Gospel says, I am accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. Very, very close, but completely different meanings. So, how do we ensure that we understand the saved part? And going back to crucified with Christ, um, in that crucified, in Romans, it talks about it again. It says, I was buried with Christ, but not just buried with Christ, but I've also rose with Him, and I'm seated with Him in heavenly places. And there's this beauty, beautiful exchange um, in the sense that I am crucified with Christ. So the one author puts it, I'm crucified with Christ. The penalty of sin that I should have been crucified for, Jesus got. But then I'm risen with Christ and the honor that Jesus got, I get also. And the blessing that Jesus got and the, the righteousness that Jesus got and everything that Jesus got, I get too. And that's actually the exchange that happens. I deserved nothing. It was all about Jesus. That's at the center and everything changes from there and, and I obey. So Martin Luther, old 1800s dude, have to quote him because it's just fun. But Martin Luther, even he, he was this big time scholar. He battled with us for years. How do I, know? How do I get this? And he said something beautiful. I'm going to read it, read it in old English because I think it's just way cooler that way. So, yeah, I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel which teacheth me. Not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. Actually, the gospel teaches me what Jesus has done for me, not what I ought to do. That's what the law teaches that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel willeth me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel, walking in line with the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it continually into their heads. It was beautiful until they went beat them in their heads, you know, get this through to them. I mean, Luther is really saying, yeah, it took him long enough to get it. But actually what he's saying is that the gospel doesn't teach me what I ought to do. That's what the Lord does. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, of what he has done for me, and because of what he has done for me, I respond to this completely differently. 
And we must beat this into their heads <laughs> again and again and again. And it's something that I think that's why we're spending so much time on Galatians is that this truth needs to get beaten into our heads. We need to get it that actually the gospel isn't the law. It isn't following stuff. It's what Jesus has done. And if I'm not blown away by what Jesus has done for me and what his salvation means, I don't understand it enough. I don't know it enough yet. I don't know him enough yet because his gospel gives me access to know him. And I'm on this journey to dive into scripture and to dive into community to get to know who Jesus is and to get to know who really the Father is because that's going to unpack what he's done because of his character that he's given to me and what he wants to give up for me, what he has given up for me. So let it not stop here that actually this is the important part. And I just feel that even today, and I mean, it's, it's uh, often when I preach, it sometimes comes across a bit like a teach, but that's fine. But there's something critical here that I think we need to be honest with and we need to start a journey. Some of us are fresh, and some of us, after 20, 30 years of serving Christ, we might be in a space where actually maybe we need to shift something. That last part scares me. It says, but if we... If we think that justification comes from the law, then Christ died for nothing. Sure. You know, everything we believe is on Christ's death and his resurrection and where he sits now in heaven and what he's given. We can't let that be for nothing, you know? So let us ensure that Christ died for everything. You know, let that be the center of what we do. And for us here in the room, there may be sort of three types of people. They may be the first who just actually don't get the fullness of the gospel. You've been saved into something, but you felt that you saved into, I must get saved, otherwise I'm going to go to hell. Yes, that's the law. There is truth in it. But actually the gospel is bigger than that. I've been saved because I've been invited into an intimate relationship with the Father. And God called me even before I responded. That's why I responded. He's been calling me and knocking on the door of my heart my whole life. <laughs> and I've responded to this beautiful gospel and he wants to take me on a journey to get to know him intimately and understand who he is. That's the gospel. And maybe my gospel that I've bought into or I've said a prayer about isn't that gospel. And I feel I don't know God. There's that one group. Then there's a second group who maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and maybe somewhere along the line you've jumped back into the center. That actually it's about what people think, it's about what people say, or I come and I serve and I'm involved or I do things in the community because actually there's something about what I'm doing um, that's fluffing up myself, <laughs> that's making myself feel better, uh, that, that's getting me to feel good about where I am. And very often, maybe if we really search our hearts, sometimes even when we're worshipping, sometimes often when, you know, it's, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me, for me, for me. But it actually just stops there, and the whole gospel is about what he's done for me, which is true, but that's the limited version of it. God calls you then to be this wellspring of life that other people will feed off of and get water from and be able to see him through you. So there's much more to it. So maybe you're that person that actually, honestly, I'm a bit in the center of the circle. I want to bring Jesus, not just in church, in my business, in my family. Is Jesus at the center? Are you walking in truth with the gospel, truth with the knowledge of who Jesus is? 
in your family, in your relationship, in your marriage, in your workplace, in whatever sphere God calls us to do it there, not just here. And God just wants to realign what that looks like for us. And I said three things, but it's probably two things, so that's fine too. But could we stand? Father God, Lord, we come to you with gratitude. We come to you humbly. We come to you knowing, Lord, this beauty of what Jesus, what you did, of what you did on the cross, Father God, so that our sin and our flesh and our self and our egos was crucified with you on that cross and you took on the penalty for everything that we deserved. And three days later when you rose again and then when you ascended into heaven and you're sitting firmly on your throne that you placed us, you inside of us and and, and us inside of you that when God looks at us, he sees you, Jesus. He sees your righteousness. He sees your holiness. He sees everything bestowed, every honor bestowed bestowed onto you, Jesus, we get. That's grace. That's the extent of your love, Father God. Lord, and we want to respond to this gospel. Lord, we want to respond to this gospel that isn't saving us from something only, but it's completely transforming everything in our lives. And, and as it says, that you're creating a new being completely in us. Um, that's what we want to respond to, Father God. So firstly, Lord, in this room, Lord, if there are people that haven't gotten that gospel the trueness and are walking in the truth of that gospel of really what you've done and how you see them. There's people standing here as Paul was standing condemned. There's people standing here in shame. There's people standing here still harboring on saying, I must try and tick off this sin management box. Is it good? Yes, but actually the gospel of Jesus is core and then everything else changes. There's people doing that, Father God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll bring a tug on their hearts just to draw closer to you. And, and now if that's you, just do respond in your own way. If you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. If you're wanting to just to talk to Jesus, talk to him. Just to respond to him and say, I'm not sure if I actually got the truth of the gospel, Jesus, as to what you really died for and what you really bestowed upon me only because of how glorious you are. That level of love I haven't gotten yet. And if the gospel is to bring me to an intimate knowledge with you as a saviour, I don't know if I'm there. And there might be many of you, but respond now and say, Lord, I want to be there. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal the truth of your gospel to me. And take away the stuff that, that isn't in line with this gospel, that isn't in line with this truth. I want it removed, Father God. I want you, Jesus, to just be the centre of this for me. And I want to start a journey right now to knowing you intimately because that's what you died for. So I can have access to the God, creator of the heavens and the earth and know you intimately and that's what you want. You're waiting there for me to do that. We thank you, Lord, and I want to do this and that's a decision I'm making today. And then for some of you who feel that you've made the decision many, many, many times before but somewhere along the line you just keep on Maybe, maybe it's just in work, or maybe it's just in your marriage, or maybe it's just in a space where you feel the something of you rises up the whole time and you respond in a way that isn't in line with who Jesus is. 
And Lord, for those, Lord, you know the circumstances. You know whether it's the work. You know those edges that keep us going back to this fleshly, messed up version of ourselves, Father God. But Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross. We thank you that we don't have to stand condemned in those spaces that we keep on falling short. We need to realize that we have fallen short. That's why you've died, to make us justified and to make us be able to stand with confidence in the throne room of God only because of what you've done, Jesus. Reveal that to us, Father God, and help us, Holy Spirit, in those circumstances to show Jesus and to reveal the character of God in everything that we do, in everything that we respond to. In Jesus' name, amen.